I'm from New York City. Nobody, you know, I mean, I think Trump got 11% of the vote in Manhattan. You know why? Because you knew him? Because everybody knew. Yeah. They knew him, you know. And welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with return guest David Rothkop. David is the CEO of the Rothkop Group, a best-selling author and journalist, and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. His most recent book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation, just dropped November 1st to rave reviews. While the history of the Trump presidency will remain incomplete for decades, David has built a rock-solid case that a host of government officials worked together to keep a dangerous, unhinged, ill-prepared president and his enablers from doing irreparable damage to the United States, our allies, and the planet as a whole. Reviews have called American Resistance the best work yet on how federal employees, military, and civilians help preserve democracy during the greatest constitutional peril the U.S. has faced since the Civil War. David writes this book from a place of deep understanding, knowing the ins and outs of American politics intimately, having served as Deputy Undersecretary of Commerce and International Trade Policy in the Clinton administration, working as a professor of international affairs at Columbia University, Georgetown, and Johns Hopkins, David is a contributing columnist to the Daily Beast and a member of the Board of Contributors to USA Today. He has authored hundreds of articles for multiple publications, including the New York Times, Washington Post, Financial Times, and is a regular commentary on pretty much every broadcast media. I'm having him on today to talk about his book, but also because he has innate ability to tie together complicated ideas and allow us to understand the big picture. Today, we're going to talk about what happened during the Trump presidency, what happened after the Trump presidency, and what we have to do to shore up our systems as we head into the idea of a new Trump presidency. So without further ado, please welcome back a best-selling author, international expert, and truly brilliant thinker, David Rothkopf. Nice to be back. Well, first of all, congratulations on the book, because people are just loving it. Uh, I hope they love it. You know, it took a while to uh, create it. Well, you've basically written an insider story on how everything that happened during the Trump presidency, which, let's be honest, was a lot, could have been so much worse. But there were enough people, people who have been called the deep state, but were really just career civil servants who took their oath to the Constitution seriously and were able to resist the tyrant that was attempting to take control. Yeah, absolutely right. The reason that they were called the deep state, you've got to ask yourself why they come up with this conspiracy theory is a little bit similar to why news media were called fake news. It was because Trump and the people around him realized that if these people took their job seriously, they could impede him, resist him, even challenge him, and he wanted to discredit them. So what he did was he said, let's create, let's create a conspiracy theory. Problem is, these people didn't focus on that. They focused on their jobs. You know, they're hardworking people who've given up making more money doing something else to do public service. And time and time and time again, in everything from matters of war and peace to pandemics to immigration, they stop things from being much, much worse. And, you know, given the way things turned out, that's saying quite a bit. It certainly is. I mean, I said in the introduction to this podcast that the history of the Trump presidency won't be fully known for a really long time, but your book gives us context and details around how Republicans and Democrats and nonpartisan officials basically worked in the shadows to limit the damage 
that could have been done by this incompetence and corruption. And it seems that there were a series of extraordinary measures that were taken to keep the government from falling apart. I mean, the whole book is, if I'm being honest, a bit terrifying at how close America came to the brink under Trump. No, no question about it. Trump was not just a rogue president. He's not just a guy with an extreme agenda. He was incredibly incompetent. You know, the only president we've ever had who had never held a government job before. Uh, he was incredibly narcissistic. He didn't really care about anybody else's opinion. He thought the advisors he had hired were essentially window dressing to make him look better. And his impulses were incredibly dangerous. You know, the impulse to make heroes of people like Putin or uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, the impulse to bury the COVID epidemic so that, you know, he might do better uh, politically. Uh, the impulse, the racist impulse to try to keep brown people out of the United States. You know, these, these were pathological. And fortunately, these people were there and they literally kept wars from happening, kept us from blowing up our alliances, kept hundreds of thousands of people from dying needlessly, even as we acknowledge that hundreds of thousands of people did die needlessly. And so, you know, I think we owe them not only a debt of gratitude, but I think we owe them um, the resolve to put this whole deep state myth to bed, to put the whole Ronald Reagan government is the problem myth to bed, and to start being grateful for people who devote their lives to public service, people of every party. This is not a partisan book. And I would say most of the people in this book who end up being heroes are either Republicans or independent. I thought it was a different story from the one that we were hearing. Yeah, no, that's saying something. And I think it also feels incredibly relevant today to be laying out government that can work, government that can be efficient, government that can help, and not just a partisan government. Like we say, only these people can help us. You're saying, no, these are career bureaucrats that were in there, mostly Republican and independents, that really were just doing their job to hold up the Constitution as opposed to hold up one administration, right? And not only does your book kind of provide new perspectives into this extraordinary dysfunction of the Trump administration, but it reminds us all the ways in which our system was built to hold together and the people that were there to support that. You're absolutely right. You know, these people were a critical guardrail. Other guardrails that we thought we could count on, congressional oversight, the Department of Justice, uh, they didn't work so well. These people, time and time again, stopped things from going awry. Now, they didn't always get to stop it. There were plenty of examples we can all think of that were bad. But another reason it's a timely story is that Trump was so frustrated by these people and the Trumpists, the people around Trump, were so frustrated by the fact that they were loyal to the country and not to a party that they've started an effort to be able to fire them. Uh, they've, they, you know, there's something called Schedule F, uh, which Trump introduced and Biden undid. Um, but now every leader in the Republican Party, all the people running for president, want to put this in place, which would allow them to fire perhaps 50,000 dedicated public servants. Why? Not to save money on government, not to make government more efficient. They want to fire the ones who are going to say no. They're going to fire the ones who are going to say, no, Mr. President, 
The law doesn't allow you to do that. The Constitution doesn't allow you to do that. And that's, you know, a real threat. It's, if they're able to do that, it's a big step down the road to authoritarianism. And that's, that's what we have to be careful of. The reason I wrote the book was not just another rehash of how crazy Trump was and how dangerous it was. The reason I wrote the book is they're going after these people. And if they get there, we're going to have a problem. We are going to have a less democratic, less effective, less people-oriented uh, government uh, than we've ever had. Yeah. And I, I think for those of you who don't know uh, what David is talking about, um, a good sort of overview of this idea um, was a Jonathan Swan article that he wrote for Axios in the summer that was called Inside Trump 25, a radical plan for Trump's second term that was terrifying because it basically broke down what David's talking about and how these Trump allies are preparing to radically reshape the federal government if and when he is reelected, including purging thousands of career civil servants and replacing them with loyalists who 100% subscribe to this America first ideology. And I think we need to be really clear eyed that the plan isn't even really dependent on Trump being in power. The way the Republican Party is behaving now, stripping voting rights, protesting rights, women's rights, gay rights, civil rights from people. This plan is to make sure that everyone falls in line, no matter what potential Republican leader is in charge, because the party is clearly on board for abandoning democracy for authoritarianism. And Swan's article points it out really well, where he says that it goes beyond purging typical conservative targets like the EPA and the IRS, but they're looking to strip thousands, if not tens of thousands of people from the Justice Department, from the FBI, from the CIA, from the NSA, from the State Department, from the Pentagon. And there are teams of people already setting up the next administration who plan to do this purge in the first 100 days. And that would include implementing controversial policies and making sweeping leadership changes. But it's also basically a revenge tour against anyone who was real or a perceived enemy to the Trump administration. And we need to kind of keep our eyes open on that, because if you're not completely on board with his agenda, you are not going to have a place in a next Republican administration. Yeah, you should have written this book. I couldn't put it better. Or, uh, maybe you could have written it with Jonathan Swan. That's exactly <laughs> right. This book is not a polemic by me. I interviewed 100 people. And I'll tell you something. In talking to those 100 people, virtually every single one of them said their biggest fear was that Trump would be reelected. Their biggest fear was that he would get to take the steps you're talking about. And some of the people I talked to were in Trump's cabinet and others were in the sub cabinet, but were senior officials appointed by Trump. But once they saw the chaos, the disregard for the rule of law, the hunger for authoritarianism, the impulses towards policies that were um, racist or that served a tiny fraction of the 1% or helped our enemies overseas, they said, we can't let this happen. Uh, and many of them stayed in office. And this is a controversial subject because a lot of people said, well, you should have just resigned. But many of them struggled with that. And they, they stayed in office because they thought, well, if the elections work properly, if we adhere to the rule of law, then we're going to have a chance to defeat this guy and avoid the outcome you just described so exceptionally well. Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest debates 
during the Trump years was around those who went to work with him, right, in all branches of government. I mean, were these people just self-serving sycophants looking out for their own best interests, or were they serving the public by saving the country from Trump's worst interests? In a chapter of your book, you talk about how senior military officials such as James Mattis or Mark Milley accepted the president's orders, but then slow walked them to the point of uselessness in order to kind of prevent the corruption of both the military command structure and its ideals at the hands of these kind of amateur opportunists. Well, yeah. The first thing I want to say is this is not insubordination. You know, this is these men doing their job, honoring their oath. Uh, They have sworn not to follow illegal orders. They have sworn to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies, foreign and domestic. They are obligated uh, in their capacities to assess the guidance they're given and to come back to the president or come back to their colleagues in the government with their best judgment about how to implement these things. And so sometimes that took the form of slow walking. Sometimes it took the form of just talking the president off the ledge. You know, a secretary of defense gets a call from the president and he says, you know, I think we should go to war tonight with Korea uh, or let's launch missiles at the caravans in Mexico. And they would say, you know, Mr. President, that's an interesting idea. Why don't we talk about it tomorrow at lunch? You know, because they had to sort of diffuse situations that were often driven by impulse or anger. And uh, they knew that ultimately uh, they perhaps could talk the president or people around the president into a view that was more sensible. Not always, but, you know, we didn't end up with a moat at the southern border like Trump wanted that was filled with alligators. alligators. We, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't end up shooting at immigrants coming across the border. Or shooting at peaceful processors in front of the White House. Right, or dropping the 101st Airborne Division into, you know, Portland, Oregon because of Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, And there were people in the government who would say, you know, you really shouldn't shoot Clorox into your veins. You know, uh, uh, so, you know, that was to the benefit of all of us. But often these people aren't praised. And in fact, many of them are penalized. You know, Alexander Vindman lost his job. Ambassador Marie Jovanovich lost her job. Uh, People like Ambassador Bill Taylor quit his job. Uh, Ambassador McKinley quit his job. Uh, The woman who was the uh, controller at the Department of Defense got fired. Uh, A lot of people's careers were upended and they paid a huge price. Why did they do it? Why did they do that? Why did they pay that price? They paid it because they thought it was the right thing to do, as Vindman says in the the title of his book here, Right Matters. And Vindman himself said that your book is a story that needed to be told. And he was personally there through all of the chaos. And he knows how close we came to losing our democracy because of that. I mean, your book essentially turns the concept of what we've called the deep state upside down, using it as a term to describe committed civil servants and policy experts who like you're saying, imperfectly or maybe even courageously in many moments, work to block or disrupt the worst and most dangerous instincts of Donald Trump as much as they could. At one point in your book, you say that the deep state is often the last line of defense against the dark state. Will you expand on that? 
there was this dark state. There was this little cabal of people around Trump, uh, many of whom were uh, motivated by corrupt instincts. Many of them were motivated by racism. Some of them were motivated by uh, an appetite for power that was so great that they thought it was in the, their interest to attack our democracy. Some supported Vladimir Putin. Some supported Kim Jong-un. Some supported others. And, you know, they were a real threat. And these people who were accused of being the deep state by them, right, by the bad guys, by the people who are trying to do the wrong thing, what they really were were American heroes. Uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, who I talked to in the book, uses a term. He describes what they did as constitutional patriotism. And that's what they were. They were constitutional patriots. Jamie Raskin was one of them. You've seen them at the January 6th hearings. You've seen people at the Department of Justice who said no to the president. You saw them in the impeachment hearings. Uh, you saw Vindman and Yovanovitch and Fiona Hill and others, Ambassador Taylor. And, uh, uh, you know, those are the ones who whose stories have sort of made it above the fold in newspapers. But there are thousands and thousands of others who you've never heard of who you ought to be glad were there. I've been talking about Athletic Greens for over a year now. If you've listened to the podcast for that long, or even if you're new to the podcast, please know that I don't take on advertisers that I don't believe in. And AG1 has not only been a great supporter from the very beginning, but they're an absolutely quality product that I can truly stand behind. My family takes it. My 80-year-old dad takes it. My friends take it. It's one of those things that will truly change how you physically feel. It's just one scoop in water every morning on an empty stomach, and your body gets 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day off right. This blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, basically all the things. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, but it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body can actually absorb. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science, and it's constantly changing the product's iteration based on third-party testing to make sure you're getting the very best version. There's a reason Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews, is recommended by professional athletes, and trusted by leading health experts. AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits, and it's something you can do every day to take great care of yourself. Now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is gonna give you one free year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Again, that's athleticgreens dot com slash politics girl to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate in daily nutrition. I honestly wouldn't keep talking about this if I didn't truly believe in it. Give it a try. You won't be disappointed. When you talk about being motivated by your corruptest instincts and how there's a whole group of people that really were, and we can't not look at it in the context of where we are right now, right? Where we're incredibly lucky that the GOP didn't win the Senate in the midterms. Um, we worked really hard to make sure the Democrats held control or held off supermajorities in a lot of state houses. Well, I think we can consider it a victory that 
the majority of state secretary of state positions, the people who certify and um, call the elections in blue or swing states didn't end up going to election deniers who all ran this year because that would have been a disaster for democracy because these are the people that we need in place to uphold democracy. But I think we have to be honest that we're still in a very precarious position, that these guardrails you're talking about for our democracy are incredibly damaged. Um, and there's still people out there trying to make it worse. I mean, if anything, the midterm elections were a vote against nihilism and self-destruction, but we have a really long road ahead of us. What are your thoughts and what we can glean from these midterms? Well, you know, my thoughts are much as you said, we did better than uh, history suggests we should have, much better. We did better uh, than the pundits expected. We did better than the polls suggested, although many of them were fake polls that were yeah. <laughs> put out by Republican candidates to skew polling averages. And all the, the victories that we achieved, uh, you enumerated well, but dozens, scores of election deniers were elected. Yeah, I know. Um, Dozens Especially to the scores, House. Right. Of Trumpists were elected. Kevin McCarthy, who is very likely to be the next Speaker of the House, thanks to the Republicans having a slim majority in that House, has in the past couple of days said, I'm going to kick not just Ilan Omar off of committees, I'm going to kick um, Adam Schiff off of committees. You know, why? Why would you kick Adam Schiff off of a committee? What has he ever done? Uh, he's a much more accomplished, uh, capable legislator than McCarthy. You know, he's never had any hint of scandal. The only thing Adam Schiff has ever done is lead investigations into these crimes uh, in the most honorable possible way. It's the exact same thing we're talking about uh, with the attack on, on the deep state. Uh, I would argue the same is true of Eric Swalwell, who he also said he was going to remove from committees, uh, another dedicated congressman who they've been trying to smear unsuccessfully because he's been so effective. Uh, and I think you're going to see more of this uh, as we get into 2024, not just with Trump running, but all the other Republicans who are running to be president are Trumpists at heart, election deniers. Uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, who the Republicans see as maybe the alternative to Trump, had his own police force, fired people in his government who didn't agree with him, sought to suppress COVID data, sought to suppress the teaching in schools, even the mention whether a, a teacher might be part of the LGBTQ plus community. He's in many respects worse than Trump. And even the mainstream media are going, well, DeS you know, Trump's down and DeSantis is up and he's the savior of the party. Oh, God. Well, no. You know, I mean, DeSantis, you know, may, may be the next Republican candidate, but he is a profound threat to the United States. And so, you know, let's celebrate our victories. Let's ask ourselves why we didn't do better. And let's recognize that we have not won this fight for democracy. That is going to continue on in 2024 and beyond 2024. And we don't just get to keep democracy because we were taught you know, that that's what we had in America when we were in our, you know, school days. We have to fight these active efforts to dilute and pervert it, which are coming now from an entire major political party in the United States. 
Absolutely. I mean, as I said to Ron Klain in the midterm roundup podcast we did here, I'm so proud of all the efforts that the Democratic voters and the grassroots organizations and the independent media and influencers who put it in the you know, put into the past two years to stand up for democracy. And I think it shows us that with enough time and hard work, there really is hope for a positive future in this country. But it's also, democracy is never fixed with one election. It's fixed one election at a time. You have to continue to do the work always, always. It's, it's, it's what we're doing. And if we're talking about in your book, these bureaucrats, these people holding up democracy in the shadows, it's hard to not see that these seats the Republicans flipped. You're saying, why didn't we do even better, considering the major things that were on the line here? But I, it's hard not to see that the seats the Republicans flipped in the midterms are fundamentally seats they gerrymandered so they couldn't lose. I mean, overall, Republicans underperformed, but they still ended up with the House because of gerrymandering and voter suppression. And clearly, we can't look to the courts to help us because, if anything, they've made it worse. And clearly, they're in the bag for anti-democratic forces on many levels. SCOTUS themselves gutted America's right to vote, undermining the Voters' Rights Act and endorsing three separate Republican gerrymanders in Wisconsin and Louisiana and Alabama, each one that was drawn to enhance the electoral power of white voters. And the Republicans owe their successes in many ways to a bunch of court cases that allowed them to, what I say, legally rig the game. And I'm, it's hard for people to hear that and be in Wisconsin right now going like, I voted, I did all the stuff I'm supposed to do. Why doesn't it matter? Why doesn't it count? And I, I want to encourage people to keep pushing because I think it can feel a little discouraging for people knowing they're doing the right thing and still seeing the system working against them. Well, I mean, look, you know, if you look at some of the decisive battles in the election that uh, kept the Senate for for the Democrats, for example, whether it's uh, uh, Cortez Masto in, in Nevada or the, some of the races in Arizona or, the or Fetterman, that, yeah, Fetterman with the kids coming or, up or Fetterman in, in Pennsylvania. You know, these were very close races. Every vote mattered. And, you know, when you see somebody like uh, Laura uh, Boebert going back to the Congress um, because she won by a few hundred votes, you know, the message ought to be loud and clear. If you don't show up, you're making it easier for the other side to win. Similarly, you know, uh, among the gains that uh, Republicans had in, as a result of gerrymandering, were a number of seats in New York State where the Democratic establishment in New York State didn't fight back in the way that they should. And you're absolutely right. SCOTUS is as corrupt as it's ever been. It is in, and, and it's been corrupt before in the days of the Dred Scott decision, for example. Um, but it is, it's at risk. Uh, and I think right now, if it continues as constituted, you're going to see more than gerrymandering cases. You're going to see the courts on election matters rule, for example, that state legislatures can determine who electors are and ignore election results. And that's a very dangerous step in, in some of these uh, states that, that lean Trumpist. Uh, now, of course, you'll also see them take away the rights of uh, people to choose who they marry, possibly to use contraception, also fundamental freedoms. Now, why do I bring that up? Not just to complain. Democrats have to do something about this. You know, we're reading stories now about Alito leaking information years ago. Clarence Thomas uh, and his wife have some big question marks over 
her role in the insurrection. Somebody leaked the Dobbs decision. You know, there's a, there's a lot wrong in this court. Fortunately, there are people like Senator Sheldon Whitehouse who are standing up and they're saying, we have to have an investigation in the Senate. We've got to call them out. And where they do something wrong, we need to challenge them. We need to defeat them. Uh, we need to impeach people who can be impeached. Now, it's not going to be easy with a Republican House, but it doesn't mean that casting a light on what was done wrong doesn't help. And the best example of that are the two impeachments of Donald Trump. They may not have been successful to the extent that he was removed, but he lost. Every day, in every way that you can, you need to push this because they haven't given up and they have enough power that they can do a huge amount of damage. Yeah, tremendous amount of damage. Uh, we were talking to Tom Hartman just about the Supreme Court and going forward and all the things that need to be addressed. We have to, when you were talking about the Democrats have to do more, I feel like we need to acknowledge where we really are and commit to doing things that haven't been done before because technically Congress is supposed to be a check on the Supreme Court. And right now the Supreme Court is acting as if there is no checks on them at all. And the case you were talking about, in case people don't know, is this upcoming case, Moore v. Harper, that's coming before the Supreme Court, which would essentially destroy democracy as we know it because it would make it impossible for a Democrat to win the presidency. And how can any of us think that that's going to be okay? I mean, our laws only work, our government only works because we collectively agree to follow the rules. If one whole group decides not to, what does the other side do? And I think that's one of the reasons why Merrick Garland has been so, so careful about following every single rule, because if we want to live under the rule of law, we have to really live under it. The other side's clearly willing to abandon it. So if we abandon it too, then it's gone and they're the ones that get what they wanted. So we have to follow it very carefully. But I think we need to think outside the box with the Supreme Court because clearly the Supreme Court has corrupted itself and it will then corrupt our government almost in totality if we allow it to carry on. I mean, I find it quite alarming. It's profoundly alarming. And, you know, one thing to do is um, work to help sure, make sure that uh, Senator Warnock is reelected, that the Democratic majority is a little stronger in the Senate, uh, so that President Biden and the Democrats in the Senate can ensure that there are more Democrats and critical federal judgeships across the country. Another thing you can do is make sure that states are taking the steps that they can to rewrite their constitutions, to add protections to seek measures within the Congress between now uh, and the end of the lame duck Congress uh, that can protect us from the irrational acts of Republicans like blowing up the debt limit. Uh, there are a lot of things that we can do when we do have to think outside the box. And, and frankly, uh, we, don't, I, I, we don't do enough of that. I'm very worried. You know, the Supreme Court could give us 10, 20 years more of terrible decisions. And, uh, you know, there is a way around that, right? Mm -hmm. There's numerous uh, ways elect, around that. There's elect, a lot of out-of-the-box Elect the box Democrats thinking. to the Congress, change the law, and put good judges in courts. Uh, you know, when the time comes that you really have the opportunity to consider how the court is constituted or whether certain people should be on it, go for it. Um, 
but don't look at any one area. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is the courts are one area, state governments are an area, um, but public officials serve as an important guardrail. And if the Republicans can sort of under the radar go in and fire a bunch of them, as we were talking about earlier, uh, that's going to take away a critical guardrail because, you know, these are the people who implement the law. And as you're saying, you know, if we're a nation of laws, uh, we need people who ensure that we follow the rule of law. And that is precisely what the MAGA GOP does not want to do. Yeah. I mean, your book gives us major insight into how government functions and why, as you say, we need to be caring about these jobs that no one's ever heard of if we want to continue to look out for America's future. Jennifer Rubin, who's an economist for The Washington Post, and she also wrote the book Resistance, How Women Saved Democracy from Donald Trump, has said that the deep state is real and thank goodness for them because this group of honorable, diligent, skilled public servants are the critical undergirding. They are the guardrails that prevent democracy's demise at the hands of people like these mega authoritarians, these people who are still trying to push that way of government through, which is basically saying that the rest of us have no say in our own government and they're going to tell us top down how it's going to go. But there's still, as we were saying, there's still a lot of these people in major positions of power in our Congress throughout the government. And how do you think we can hold up and support this deep state in the best form. Because if the Republicans get full power again, which I hope they will not, these people will all be gone. So what what can we be doing to help shore up? You're saying watch out for the state races, make sure we're voting. What else do you think we should be doing? Well, first of all, uh, I mean, I encourage you to read my book, but, you know, follow the issue. Yeah. Follow the stories as they develop. Uh, don't let the Schedule F uh, kind of idea go under the radar, challenge people when they talk about the concept of the deep state, try to explain why it was perpetuated. Uh, Because frankly, at the grassroots level, you can make a big difference. You know, each one of us has a social media platform. It's very different from the way the world worked before. Everybody, whether they have 30 followers on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Facebook page, uh, or they have thousands of them. Everybody has a platform and that adds up. So use your platform to help mold and uh, move public opinion. And then when elections come up, donate, work for the candidates and uh, fight to ensure that the majority of the people um, that we've got in our government are going to defend our government and going to defend the rule of law and are going to defend the Constitution of the United States. Frankly, the reason I think people listen to your podcast, because it's it's something that happens all day long. It has to be a part of our life. It's got to be, I go to the gym, I work out, I do my job, I care for my family, and I care for my country. Out of curiosity, as a total side note, do you think this is one of the reasons when you're talking about using your platform um, to reach out to your people, to talk to your people, to talk about why democracy is important? Do you think that's why we are seeing people like Elon Musk take over these platforms so that we can't do that? Of course. They see it as a threat. Yeah. You know, they've been trying since 
you know, Roger Ailes first proposed the idea in the 1970s to build right-wing media uh, and to silence centrist and, and progressive media. Uh, and what happened was the media was democratized by social media platforms, and they saw that um, as a threat, uh, you know, the, which is why they started, again, coming up with, you know, language to discredit it. Oh, these are just elites, you know, which is, of course, nonsense. These are everybody. There are hundreds of millions of people. And they started to bombard it with bots and trolls uh, to create counter narratives, to just make people turn away from the media, uh, the, these, these social media platforms. And now you've got a guy with a, you know, and let's be honest, it's not an overstatement, a Trump-Putin agenda who is himself a troll and, 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 you know, a bit of an asshole. Let's be absolutely clear. Oh, about you don't this. need to Some say a this. bit. I think yeah, giant I mean, would be the right word. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's agree then. You and I will agree. He's a giant asshole. And you know, that you see the stuff that he has put out there. It's despicable, but it all points in one direction. It puts Trump back in. It puts Nazis back on the social media platforms. It makes hate speech more likely rather than less likely. It makes verified truth um, watered down further and further. And, you know, look at who controls the biggest media outlets. I, I looked at one point just a few months ago, and something like seven or eight of the 10 largest are, 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 they're not liberal media, as everybody, you know, again, another one of these idiotic conspiracy theories. They're controlled by right-wing moguls. Yeah, right-wing billionaires. Or, or, or libertarian moguls who end up being right-wing by default. It scares me because it's a way to make us stop talking to each other, stop sharing. That's where we got BLM. That's where we got Me Too. That's where we got all these movements, where the resistance was born, where the Women's March was born. They, they don't want us talking to each other because it's effective. And like you said, like they know it works. And so they're trying to stop us. And I think we have to be very clear that we continue to talk. We continue to work. The work is not over. Whether we're working in the government or out of the government, we continue to band together against this. I mean, your book, to come to the end, your book is just incredibly well-researched and it's written in a very straightforward way, which I appreciate because I like things to be clear. In many ways, even amongst the chaos, your book still feels hopeful and optimistic because it shines a spotlight on the amount of government officials, the amount of people in the background, right, who really believed in American democracy and wanted to work against this irreparable damage that was being done to the country. And there's lots of us who aren't even in the government who are doing exactly the same thing. It Trump's presidency was essentially the ultimate political cautionary tale. And yet here we are looking at a run from the same guy who caused all of these problems in the next presidential election. I mean, what the hell are we doing? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I say to the man who just had to move back to D.C., what are we yeah, doing, I, David? I just, What's just, going on? I, 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 yes, I mean you know, what, what, what are we doing this? I mean, we shouldn't have elected the guy in the first place. I'm from New York city. Nobody, you know, I mean, I think Trump got 11% of the vote in Manhattan. You know why? Because everybody knew. knew. Yeah. They knew him, you know, he's not going to be the candidate. He's going to have legal problems. He's going to be old. He's, he's, he's going to do more to alienate the party 
Trump's yesterday's news, but that doesn't mean MAGA is yesterday's news. It doesn't mean right-wing extremists are yesterday's news. It doesn't mean the move towards authoritarianism is yesterday's move. In fact, you know, if you listen to uh, DeSantis or you listen to, uh, you know, some of the other potential candidates that are out there, uh, even the bland ones. I mean, I can barely look at Mike Pence and stay awake. But, you know, what is Pence offering? He's offering a real Christo-fascist dystopia where one religious group is going to set the values for everybody else. And we are going to build governments around the principle of intolerance rather than tolerance. There, there's, not, there's no good egg in the basket of potential leading candidates for the Republican Party. Not, you know, I mean, if Liz Cheney runs, she's not going to do well. Uh, I don't agree with Liz Cheney on much. She might be the exception, but there are not many others. Yeah, no. And a lot of them are just a cleaned up version of the Trump that we know. A Glenn Youngkin is just a fleece wearing dad version of Trump. It's all the same policies. It's all the same problems. It's all the same. Yeah, more dangerous, more dangerous, yeah. you know. Because I mean, it seems you know, normal. Yeah, right. He doesn't seem like a, a sleazebag, Miss Universe pageant, groping, groping. corrupt <laughs> fraudster, right? But 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 if he's prom- if he's going to undermine democracy and promote racism and misogyny, well, that's you know that's the real problem. It's not that Trump's gross; it's it's that he's trying to blow up our system. Yeah. All right. Well, well, listen. Before you go, as someone who spent much of his life in Washington and is back there now, I mean, your observations in the past have really helped us navigate some of these dangerous and these turbulent times. So, what do you think comes next? More of a battle for the next couple of years. More of uh, Republicans trying to make inroads, institutionalize uh, their views, whether it's in courts or state houses. More dark money going into their campaigns uh, and more uh, effort by, you know, us at the grassroots level, but also at the level of President Biden and the administration uh, and the Democrats in the Congress to fight it. Uh, But, you know, I think you have to look at the midterms and say that was a battle. Maybe we won it. Maybe it was a draw, certainly a better outcome than we expected. And we have to developed that mentality, just like, you know, the people of Ukraine are facing the winter, facing energy shortages, facing potential loss of life. And they said, but to get what we want, we've got to see ourselves through that. And what we're facing is nowhere nearly as bad as that. And we should be inspired by it um, just to realize we have to stay this course for the long haul. Yeah. Stay the course. It's a work every single day. It's a one foot in front of the other kind of a work. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, David. Your book is sobering and alarming, but it's also a call to arms for everyone to remain vigilant against these anti-democratic forces that continue to rise against us. And let's give all credit to the often maligned civil servants as the unsung heroes who saved us from the worst instincts in the worst administration in modern history. It's tough, but it's an important read. And I hope people will check it out because we're just going to go into this battle again and we may as well have our eyes wide open when we do it. 
Thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate the work you're doing. It's really critical to this whole effort. You know, if your listeners get inspired by what you're doing and, you know, they decide they want to help, another thing they can do is public service. Go do one of those jobs. You know, go into the government. Try to help make it work better. Yeah, we need you. It's true. Thank you, David. Thanks a lot. So that was David Rothkop reminding us that the work continues, that anti-democratic forces are still at play in America, that those who would take our democracy from us are still trying and still in a position to win, that we have to shore up our guardrails with our work, our votes, and by encouraging more people who believe in the American experiment to get involved. We have to remember that there were thousands of good people working behind the scenes at the last administration who chose to hold up the Constitution rather than the parties, who put country above all. And we should recognize this not only to say thank you, but as a good sign for the health of our democracy. Moving forward, the Republican Party is clearly all in for some version of white Christian rule. The Democratic Party has to be as bold as they can to decide how to best manage this crisis. I want to thank David for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now start thinking about what your role in the upcoming fight will be. We're going to need every last one of you. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.